Hi, Nancy. Hi, Shane. It's been a while since we've I done know. this. Oh, it has been a while. How you doing? <laughs> good. It's good to see you. We we live kind of close to each other, but winter is kind of rough uh, seeing folks, especially In the now. Quarantine. Yeah. I know. Well, so we're coming back today uh, with an episode about. Well, let me just let me just ask you. So. What's one of your favorite things to do, Nancy? What's your one of your favorite hobbies? You know, reading. You love to read. I think I think one of our previous episodes you said that you'd want like a book on an island if that's the only thing you could take with you. Probably, yeah. Or a or a library somehow. Um, what's uh, what's some of your your favorite genres to read? What kind of stuff do you like? I mean, I love just general fiction. I really like historical fiction. What um, define historical know. fiction? Well, you know, it's 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 like something that happens in history, but it's a fictionalized account. You know, it's like it's like made up people usually, or it could be a real person, but they kind of make up, you know, what happened to them because the evidence is sparse. But it takes place around something that really happened, like a war, or you know, there's a lot of that, like World War II stuff. You know, um, you know, you know, anything really. Have you um, ever have you ever like gotten into like the Civil War stuff? A little bit. I'm not a huge Civil War buff, but around here, there's a lot of Civil War stuff. You yeah. Know, yeah, I know. Area. We live in Virginia. Well, yeah. uh, lucky for you, we're going to be talking about a little bit of that today. Oh, great. Maybe I'll learn something. Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientists and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon. And I'm Nancy Bumpy. And this is Third Pod from the Sun. So, Nancy, it's lovely to catch up with you, even if it is virtually, and we could just like see each other outside by walking 20 minutes. Um, but the reason why I asked you specifically about your hobbies and, uh, I guess, historical fiction, which I'm, I'm interested to learn more about, is that uh, we talked with someone for today's interview who has a is a scientist, but has a connection to the Civil War. So my name is Max Torbenson. I'm a postdoc at uh, the Ohio State University um, in the civil engineering department. And my background is quite diverse. I have a PhD in geosciences, a master's in geography, and an undergraduate in archaeology. And I guess what ties all those things together um, is tree rings. So... We're using tree rings to study past environments and climates. So that's uh, how I try to sell that all these things are connected. How did you make the transition from your PhD in more geospace area to civil engineering? Like you said, tree rings, but what is that connection? At Ohio State, there's a big focus on water management and um, so everything from bridges and building bridges to um, looking at floods and drought and one of the things that tree rings can do is to reconstruct climate and in this case stream flow uh, back in time so my advisor there was looking for someone with the skill sets um, paleoclimatic reconstruction this sounds like a kind of perfect fit for what Max would be doing and the kind of project that his uh, advisor put him on. 
starting around 1855, so slightly before the U.S. Civil War, um, the central, especially the central U.S., but probably the continent as a whole, uh, experienced unusually low rainfall. Um, so from 1855-1856 for another 10 years or so uh, there was persistent drought across North America but especially in the central part so northern Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas and we know this from historical accounts we know this from tree ring studies and from climate model simulation um, and this drought was on par, perhaps even worse in places than the Dust Bowl drought of the oh, wow. 1930s. Um, and it's thought, for example, to have played a role in the near extinction of the American bison. Um, so people moved into the plains around this, around this time, um, and the grazing animals were kind of pushed aside from the good spots of... Mm. of uh, or the good grass, and then on top of that was a big drought. So it's thought to have played a significant role in that. And did it? It's so it's a civil war drought more because of the timing. It was in that in that time. That's but correct. Yeah. Did it have, or, or do we even have an inkling of whether or not this is true? Did it have an effect on? the Civil War itself, like where troops were, how they advanced, um, how they were affected, and how that might have actually altered the course of the war and how, and like the history behind it. So that's always kind of iffy. Mm -hmm. You're almost bordering on uh, environmental determinism, right? Mm -hmm. When you're trying to. Um, but there were definitely years during the war that were dry and there's historical accounts of in uh, Tennessee where uh, some of the troops couldn't get get supplies because they transported downriver and so on. Uh, but I think the effect or the drought itself was most severe in the central U.S. So, and the war, or, you know, in the 1862-1863 was the big battles and were mainly in the eastern United States, so the kind of trans-Mississippi theater of the war. There were battles in Oklahoma and Arkansas. That's probably, if it had uh, an impact, that would be where that impact Okay. So, so maybe, but since the war was occurring and I'm in DC area, so like my part of the yeah. country more so, less effect of the drought there than where it was really hitting hard. Yeah. Um, that would be my, and, and again, it's likely that it had some effect, but because again, this was the driest decade that we know of mm -hmm. um, in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and Arkansas. So it's likely that it had some effect, but probably uh, I wouldn't go as far as say that it had an impact on the outcome. Gotcha. How, so you said we know from like different accounts of, of like from folks that this happened, what, who was recording at the time? Are these just like first 
person narratives of just people who lived in the areas were these uh were they like white people were they native americans like who what types of groups were recording these things there is a wealth of information and including actual historical what we now call instrumental data so uh, in the kind of frontiers there were forts that were stationing um, soldiers and they had some sort of or they had instrumentation or measured how much rain fell uh Kerry Mock uh, is a climate historian has done work in the central youth on, on this uh, but we also have newspaper accounts we have some of the Native American tribes in the Great Plains used pictograms so painting painting yeah yeah exactly um, and different symbols meant different things and there have been interpretations suggesting that for example 1855 um as known as the sitting summer um and that has been interpreted in combination with other records that have been uh, a very dry year um Okay, so it was like doc- like everyone was documenting it, both from a scientific perspective. Basically, it was affecting everyone, and, and there's a good record of it. Yeah, definitely. And and again, this is a um, time in, in that part of the continent where European immigrants were just starting to. So the 1850s is kind of where we're s- starting to see expansion. Uh, westwards in there so um, and that again in combination with a drought is thought to have played a, a role in how local wildlife including the bison um, was able to get on I think the results suggest that places outside of this core region they have experienced a kind of waxing and waning influence of ENSO uh, on local droughts, so places like Arizona, Southern California, Eastern Texas. So for certain periods, ENSO plays an important role on drought probability, while for other periods, there, it's not much of a relationship at all. And what that also means is that those changes that we've seen in the instrumental data for the 20th and 21st centuries, those type of changes appear to have been a somewhat stable feature of climate dynamics in the past 350 years. And in terms of the Civil War drought, so the Civil War drought occurred during persistent La Nina conditions. Mm. It doesn't necessarily mean that ENSO caused the drought. Well, it probably did to a certain degree, mm-hmm. uh, but it definitely played a role in the intensity and persistence and also the spatial uh, imprint. So the fact that for those... 10 years, so 1855 to 64, uh, a lot of the U.S., the continental U.S., was in drought conditions of various magnitude. Um, the kind of final thing there is that these expansions and contractions of ENSO influence, uh, especially into the Great Plains, which was where the Civil War drought really um, hit the hardest, we speculate that those expansions and contractions could be tied to conditions in the Atlantic Ocean. 
these sites you're on, are they public land? Are they private sites? Uh, what type of permissions do you need to get to do this type of work? They can be all sorts. Uh, and I've been very fortunate, in the, especially during my PhD, to travel and work and uh, all over the U.S. and, and Mexico and, and Brazil and South America. Uh, so it kind of depends on where you are. And again, if you're on public land, you usually need um, permission from, let's say it's a national park or a state park. or And there are private landowners that are really interested in knowing the history of their own land and uh, understanding their, their surroundings better. So usually that's not a problem. Um, and of course, some of these sites are more remote than others. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but yeah, I've, I've had, definitely had people come up to me, um, asking me what I'm doing and if I'm, why I'm hurting the tree. <laughs> Do you, have you had any, like, especially antagonistic interactions with folks? No, uh, I, I can't say to be honest, most people have been very good and interested. I think most people are interested in this. Um, I've heard stories and there are obviously you always want to get permission, uh, before. Sure. Um, and sometimes that might <clears throat> actually be tougher sometimes to get, um, the permission to core because a, they can be in places where wildlife tends to be connected where they don't really want any major disturbance. Sure. So I was interested in the interactions he had with people because sometimes he was on private land, sometimes on public land, but also he's out in the field in some really interesting locations and had some, let's say, uh, unsavory interactions with some wildlife. Looking back at the field, I always want to go back. <laughs> but then obviously when you're there, uh, especially early when I started, I you think that you can do more than than you actually can, right? I I had a uh, spider, pretty bad spider bite Ooh. in out in um, Oregon uh, when I just when I just moved to the U S and I was kind of new and, uh, and I also had some sort of, I don't, I still don't know what it was, but there was either a bite or a reaction to something in the Amazon, um, oh, wow. where I had something, a red pattern started creeping up my arm <laughs> that looked like along my veins, which was, uh, yeah. <laughs> oh man. And so just did you have to go to like the hospital? Or I, or I guess if you're in the Amazon, I, I don't know if you have that available. But I, we had gone back to civilization, sort of say, uh, when this started happening. But uh, I was young and dumb, and <laughs> unfortunately, nothing really came of it. But uh, the pictures look kind of grim now in hindsight. <laughs> So it sounds like he's been all over the world doing this kind of work, um, which mm -hmm. is super cool. And then I guess wound up in the States. So you touched on this, but uh, so you're you're not from the States. Yeah, I'm from Sweden originally. So 
what uh what drew you here was it the work specifically you were doing in your lab was it something else what really got your interest not only in the states but like specifically this type of work that you ended up doing my undergraduate degree was in archaeology and uh so slightly different yeah. and um there people use tree rings to date artifacts or date buildings or um and I fell in love with tree rings during my undergraduate, and uh, I realized that, A, <clears throat> I wanted to do a continued study, but I wanted to do it in an English-speaking country because a lot of the European countries where uh, tree rings are used are it's either Germany or Switzerland mm. or Spain. Um, and uh, I got an offer to do a master's uh, at the University of Minnesota. It's been a journey, right? <laughs> and I, I think that uh, I think I've been again fortunate. Everyone's been so nice to me. I consider Arkansas probably more home than anywhere else <laughs> right now. Um, it w it was a bit of a change moving to the U.S. And I think. Um, that first step is is uh, probably the toughest, right? Sometimes you kind of just have to do it. Um, but and of course there are cultural differences, and I, I I keep seeing them. But overall, and what really strikes me when when people ask me why I like or why I love the U.S. is that it's so diverse from especially for, from my point, from an environmental standpoint. Mm -hmm. You can be in Arkansas and look at post oaks and bald cypress trees that are a thousand year old. And you can, if you don't like that, you can go to California and be up in the mountains, look at bristlecone pine, the redwoods and the oaks up in Minnesota or, you know, wherever you have everything. Talking with Max uh, really made me kind of appreciate not necessarily just nature, uh, but I guess trees. I'm a, I'm a more of an animal guy, and so I never really thought about, uh, I don't constantly think about trees a lot and, and how important they might be. They're really important. And like we said, um, we were chatting a little bit before about, you know, being outside in the quarantine and that's one mm -hmm. of the kind of the things that you can do is be out in the woods and there's something so awesome about being among the trees, being among the woods and, and that, you know, we have so many different kinds of trees here, which is really cool. And you start to notice that all of that a lot more, I think when you're really, it's the highlight of your day sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's not Arkansas, but I, I, you and I both live in Virginia and I really appreciate what we have here as well. So, uh, really, really fortunate to, to be able to experience that. All right, folks. Well, that's all from Third Pod from the Sun. Thanks so much to Shane for bringing us this story and to Max for sharing his work with us. This podcast was produced and mixed by me. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Uh, please rate and review us. Um, and you can find new episodes wherever you get your podcast or always at thirdpodfromthesun.com. Thanks all. And we'll see you next time. <laughs>